0: Our first scripture reading comes from Deuteronomy 5, 17. You shall not murder. Our next scripture passage is from Matthew 5, 21 through 26, and 38 through 48. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is unanswerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God.
1: Well, for the remainder of this month of June, we will finish up our spring sermon series that uh, that we began right after Easter. This series on the Ten Commandments, focusing on the commandment of observing the Sabbath, and looking at how that one commandment of observing the Sabbath might actually be a key to helping us truly live the Ten Commandments. We've been talking about the Ten Commandments as a life-giving lineup, thinking about the sport of baseball, And thinking about the lines in baseball, the the rules of the game, just as the Ten Commandments are the rules of the game of life that God is giving us. The assertion that the Ten Commandments are life-giving can find no more literal support than in the Sixth Commandment. You shall not murder. Now, as... You've sensed already in the reading of the text, this is uh, going to be a sermon where we talk about murder. I'm going to take, I have in the preparation of this sermon taken great care to, to recognize that we have a, a diverse audience of, of ages. So if you're thinking about a, like a, a, a movie rating system, I've tried to make this be applicable and, and, and open to people at various maturity levels but if you find from your own personal experience that any of this is is very difficult for you to to uh to be dealing with in the moment um, it is totally okay for for you to to step out if you feel like you need that that's not an offense to me or anyone in the church it's just a recognition we give you full permission uh, that when we have to when the text calls us to talk about deep subjects like this that it's not, it's not in any way meant to force someone to go through something that's very uncomfortable for them um, and so that's full permission for you to do that even while we say that there are those moments when because of what the scriptures tell us, what God speaks to us through the scriptures that we need to talk about some of these things so The sixth commandment, Deuteronomy 5.17, you shall not murder. As you live your life, don't take another person's life away from them. Many of us are familiar with the King James Version of this commandment, which says, thou shalt not kill. But you'll find that nearly all contemporary translations of Scripture render it, you shall not murder. And here's why. In the original Hebrew, the key word in this commandment refers specifically to a premeditated act. And this is something that is more accurately translated in English translations by the M word. By the way, I'm going to say the M word a few times during this sermon so that we don't say the actual word over and over and over again. So when I say that, you know what I mean. Now, like I foreshadowed, There aren't many things in the human experience that are as tragic or traumatic as this. Given that, though, you'd think that the word itself would be something rarely mentioned because of its horrific reality. But this is, in fact, not the case. What we'll find in closer inspection is that this word is quite pervasive in our culture. Why? Perhaps the fascination with the subject and the word has to do with our need to cope with and wrestle with and think through this most tragic aspect of human existence. In the series... Uh, So far, we've been talking about a batting order in baseball. Now, the batting order that is considered by many to be the most powerful in the history of the sport is that of the 1927 New York Yankees, where Babe Ruth hit third, not even cleanup, because you got through Babe Ruth, and then you had to deal with Lou Gehrig. This lineup of the 1927 New York Yankees is affectionately called "Murderer's Row." It's common in the game to use this word to describe a ball that is hit particularly hard. It's also common in general sports for sports casters who are reporting sports scores to take what was a simple competition on the field, when the run differential is very different. Words related to the M-word are often used to describe what one team did to the other. Sometimes it's better just to report the score. When one considers the stories that we engage in in our leisure time, in the books that we read, in the shows that we watch, we recognize how saturated our culture is with the M-word. One of the more popular shows currently streaming now is one that brings together a multi-generational cast and audience, with the star power of Steve Martin and Martin Short. I know that you know who those people are. Alongside Selena Gomez, and I know that some of you know who that person is. It's in a comedy-crime drama titled Only Murders in the Building. Many recall the show that Angela Lansbury starred in a few decades ago, whose title is The Answer to the Question. What did she write? There you go. And everyone familiar with classic films knows what you dial M for. And we all know what happened on the Orient Express, don't we? That story was written by Agatha Christie, listed by the Guinness World Records as the best-selling fiction writer of all time. Her murder mystery play, The Mousetrap, is the world's longest-running stage play, having been continuously performed in London's West End since 1952. And I can attest, having just been to London, that you can get a ticket for that show today. In somewhat of a plot twist, some of the greatest Christian writers of the 20th century majored in, or at least dabbled in, the detective novel genre to write about detectives who solved murder cases. G.K. Chesterton is one of them, who wrote about the detective priest, Father Brown. You can find a collection of these stories sold on christianbook.com under the title, Father Brown and the Ten Commandments. Because literally, G.K. Chesterton wrote his mysteries to help us all get sort of a moral conscience from the Ten Commandments. And so, basically, the crimes that Father Brown solved were things that he was kind of an expert in, which was God's law, violations of God's law. Dorothy Sayers once wrote that G.K. Chesterton was the first man of our time to introduce the great name of God into a detective story, to enlarge the boundaries of the story by making it deal with death and real wickedness, real that is to say, divine judgment. And speaking of Dorothy Sayers, she's often mentioned with Agatha Christie as one of the, quote, queens of crime, having written many novels about the crime solving exploits of Lord Peter Whimsey. Now, G.K. Chesterton and Dorothy Sayers had a contemporary named T.S. Eliot, who wrote a drama in verse titled Murder in the Cathedral. This one was based on the real-life assassination of Archbishop Thomas Beckett in 1170. You might categorize this in the genre of true crime, which is currently surging in popularity on streaming shows and on podcasts. These shows often focus on cases of murder and the story behind the crime and the solving it in documentary style. One of the true crime shows that is out there currently is a show called 48 Hours. Have you ever seen it? Some of you are nodding your head. A few months ago, this show presented an episode based on a crime that was committed in nearby Pierce County, Washington. And the sheriff's detective who was on the case, who solved the case, and was interviewed throughout the show to follow the path of investigation toward justice was my little brother, Franz. To be honest, it was a bit surreal to see a family member so upfront and focused on in a nationally broadcast TV show. But overall, for me personally, it just made me proud to be his brother. In his calling as a detective, he's doing sacred sixth commandment work, upholding the value of lives and of lives that have been taken, and bringing justice to families and our community that has suffered the tragedy. In a way, we are in a partnership, my brother and I. This is his ministry as a homicide detective. And my calling as a pastor in Sixth Commandment work is to proclaim God's word and remind us of this boundary line that God has given us that we should be careful not to cross. But we need people like my brother because as a human community, cross it We do. Turning our attention to the news, we see that it happens somewhere in our world every day. And history shows that we've needed this commandment from the beginning. It's the first sin recorded in the Bible after the fall of Adam and Eve. As the text describes that Cain attacked his brother, Abel. Moses himself, the one God chose to lead his people... The one God chose to bring the law, the Ten Commandments, to God's people did so as one who had already violated the Sixth Commandment. When earlier in his life, he killed an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew slave, causing Moses to flee into the desert, to flee for his own life. And this fact, this simple fact of the fact that Moses is presenting it as one who was already guilty of it. This fact should help us understand that this commandment is not meant just for those strange people out there who would do such a thing. But it's meant for each person hearing it, generation after generation, to take it to heart because of our universal capacity to do such a thing. Friends, human history is the story of this struggle. Assassinations from Julius Caesar to JFK and mass events like genocides and 9-11 turn the tide of history and mark entire generations. In our day, mass shootings are so common that we may not even recognize that the Sixth Commandment is being violated over and over again sometimes even within churches. The bottom line is that as a human community, the Sixth Commandment reveals one of the glaring exceptions to the belief in eternal human progress. That after all these years and the advances that we've made in technology and in our philosophy, that we still struggle with it. Whether the story is chiseled onto stone Or written onto delicate papyrus, or ink on paper, or even portrayed on digital screens. The same story continues. And it is truly a tragic story. It breaks God's heart. A world with the M word is not God's vision of the good life. And this act is under God's judgment. Sometimes it's not comfortable, like, like the referee who calls the whist, who blows the whistle on us and we have to turn the ball over. it's not comfortable to to be talking about god's judgment, and many times, if you're like me, you kind of hope for a world where you don't have to ever bring that up at all. but in this case, we need it. We need it. The taking of of other people's lives is under God's judgment. This is not how God wants the world to be. And so in the church, we make careful teaching that we will not contribute to that story, to add another chapter. God turns us away from it. As Presbyterians, we've always acknowledged that, that there are ways, even beyond being faithful to that command literally, specifically, in not taking a life. We've acknowledged that there are ways that we can honor the spirit of the law every day as we extend it to the general idea of respecting life and protecting it. The Scots Confession of 1560 declares as contrary to the will of God actions To murder or to consent thereto, to bear hatred, remember that bear hatred for later, or to, quote, let innocent blood be shed if we can prevent it. Preventing bloodshed is a way that we honor the sixth commandment. The Westminster Shorter Catechism declares that what the sixth commandment requires of us all is all lawful endeavors to preserve our own lives and the lives of others preserving life. It's the church's mission springing from the sixth commandment. It's why Christians continue to bring a concern for the preservation of life to major ethical issues before us as a human community, such as abortion or euthanasia. But alongside this, it's also why Christians bring a concern for the preservation of the lives of those who are mired in poverty and inhumane living conditions. Now, it's interesting to see where Jesus went in his teaching related to the Sixth Commandment. We heard this read to us from Matthew chapter 5. This might be considered his primary guidance on respecting and protecting and preserving the lives of others. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus followed up his Beatitudes where he said, blessed are the merciful and blessed are the peacemakers. When he said these words, you have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Very much from the Ten Commandments. But I tell you, and this is something that Jesus repeated over and over in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shares God's law, and then he shares his deepening of that law. He says, But I tell you that anyone who is even angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Raka was a, was a term that was used that basically insulted the intelligence of another person. Um, some biblical scholars uh, would prefer to use the word idiot. That, that captures it. It's, and it's meant to be something that's not really, is it truly a fighting word? You know, it's a, it's a word that, we, that might roll off our tongues fairly easily when we're upset with someone. But it's not the worst word that you could use. But that's the point Jesus is making. That it starts small. We start to dehumanize others in the way we think about them in the midst of our anger. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember your brother or sister has something against you, that means they, they have legitimate, a legitimate claim that you are treating them wrongly. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift to the Lord. Anyone who is angry is subject to judgment. Seems like we, Jesus just turned it from something that we might be tempted to think only applies to those other people that we don't understand and brings it right home to every single one of us. And he helps us recognize it before it's too late. That at the Part of the Sixth Commandment is the issue of anger. In our anger, we're prone to dehumanize others. The word Jesus uses for anger in Matthew 5.22 is the Greek word orgizomenos, which has the connotation of remaining angry or nursing a grudge. One New Testament scholar describes it as the decision to be an angry person. Friends, anger is an involuntary emotion. We can't never be angry. It's it's what happens when we're human. Circumstances activate this emotion within us. But the key ethical question is, when that anger is activated, what do we do with it? What Jesus is referring to here is what New Testament scholar Dale Bruner calls carried anger. Think about it. Picture yourself that time when something or someone makes you angry and you hold on to it. You grip it. You tuck it right here just like you're a running back in football. And you go through life. You protect it. It becomes that thing that that you're not willing to to give up. Later in chapter 5, we learn from Jesus that even if our anger is with an enemy, it's no excuse to hold on to that anger and dehumanize them in the process. Because loving our neighbors includes neighbors who are enemies. Anger can be that heavy burden that we carry with us, but God wants us to be free of that burden And freedom from that burden of carried anger will be a benefit and a blessing to others. It will bring them life. It will preserve their lives. And it will bring us life too. It will preserve our lives. And letting go of our anger is precisely how observing the practice of Sabbath helps us to follow the sixth commandment. I mentioned Jesus' pattern of teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, how he spoke of God's commandment from the Old Testament law and then deepened it. So Jesus took the sixth commandment and deepened it into the concept of internal anger. But then he offers some practical things to do. And his practical illustration was about worship. What you do on the Sabbath. Bringing an offering to or a gift to the Lord on the Sabbath. That's what you did on the Sabbath. But Jesus said that the occasion of the Sabbath is a reminder that if you are carrying anger, it's time to lay it down. It's an opportunity to drop our anger. Many of you are thinking right now of a text in the New Testament where we are encouraged to not let the sun go down on our anger. The Sabbath can function as a weekly sunsetting of anger, a day to lay it down, to let go, to release our hold on it. Many of you have been following along the Sabbath practice and practicing the way. We'll continue to have this available to us to learn and relearn and grow in our practice of Sabbath. But it includes in the second movement, which is focused on rest. a process that we can go through at the beginning of our Sabbath day that helps us to let go of our anger. We're invited to invite the Holy Spirit to illumine our minds and then ask two questions in God's presence. The first is, what am I feeling today? To be honest with God about our feelings. And and in the, the guide that we have, there's a list. Some of you have seen it. There's a list of five different emotions Happy, sad, scared, confused, and angry. And underneath each one of these, there's 20 different adjectives that describe, like, if you, oh, I'm not angry, and then it's, oh, but I am frustrated. Oh, I guess that is related, isn't it? I'm frustrated with you. Oh, I guess I may be angry. And then to go, once you've named that feeling, to Search out the attachment under that feeling, the emotional clinging to something that we believe we need. And then to offer this feeling to God in prayer and release it to Him, to loosen our grip. Our day of rest is meant to be a day of rest from our anger. Now, this exercise is not the full solution to the human problem of anger but might serve as the beginning of a healing awareness. God has given us helping professionals like counselors as a gift. And the Sabbath might be just what we need to recognize our need for help as we pause long enough to listen to God's still, small voice of peace. So in conclusion... This is a word for all of us as we move forward in our lives. Also, thinking of our graduates who will be moving on into their lives. Three simple words live for life. Amen.